hey, do you have some old patients on a list that you want to reactivate? Well, a couple of our users ran into the same issue and they use Clinic Gym Connect to help make this process easier. So I'll let them tell you all about it here. You know, I've been in practice eight years and, and I can tell you for sure there's people who haven't been in, in six, seven years. As a one-man show, I couldn't follow up with people. It's just on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And so when Mark came on, this is a guy who's here to get stuff done. And I'll leave it up to, to him from there. Off the bat, it was pretty overwhelming just looking at a, a base of 2,000 plus old patients that uh, haven't been in, like Dr. Carson said, in some even six years. Yeah. So I would go into our EHR, pull out a couple months at a time, tag them put them on the dialer, send out some texts, introducing myself and whether they respond or not, go through, call them. A lot of people um, would say, Hey, how are you guys doing? Like, how's Dr. C? Haven't seen you guys in a while. It's funny. I was just thinking about you the other day. And then a couple of good ones were, uh, Oh, you know, I'm good. But uh, my cousin, my friend, my coworker, my wife, they've been having some back pain for a while. So glad you called. I was just thinking about you guys. Like they said, it's not just reactivations, it's also referrals and getting those new patients in when they send their friends, their loved ones, their spouse, their partner, whoever it is, they want you to take care of them because they know, like, and trust you. So if you want to do this in your own practice, check out clinicgymconnect.com and we can help you reach out to those people. It only takes a few clicks of the mouse and those people will be coming in and sending their friends. If you're interested in more, check out clinicgymconnect.com. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist that believes in exercise, wants to make some money, and wants to provide the absolute best care for your patients? Well, then you are in the right place. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and this is Clinic Gym Radio, where we talk about the Clinic Gym hybrid model, which is combining the best parts of healthcare with active care and fantastic exercise programs to get patients the best care they can while helping you make more money in this game. This is Clinic Gym Radio, and I'm Dr. Josh Satterley. I'm excited for you to be here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and it's going to be a blockbuster of a day because we've got three great folks here with us. I've got Nick Baker, Nate Baker, and Keith Yoho. Fellas, how you all doing? Doing great, man. Thanks for having us back. Doing well. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, if you uh, want to, you can go back in the archives and find a previous interview I did with these guys. But between now and then, some fun stuff has happened. And uh, you guys are doing it. You're living the dream. You're making the dream up as you go. You're flying the airplane there in Grants Pass, Oregon. So I would love to talk about some of the ups and some of the downs that you guys have experienced and seen. And uh, maybe we can pull out some lessons for people to learn. How's that sound? Sounds good. We got definitely have a few of those. Yeah. Well, just to get everybody on the map here of kind of what's going on. Number one, if anybody's listening and uh, wants to see their clinic up close and personal, we are doing an SFMA course. They're hosting an SFMA course in June of 2022, right? Yeah. So we would love to have you out there. But give everybody an idea of kind of the overall your facility, how many square feet? Is it a clinic? Is it a gym? Is it both? Um, And how many how many providers you got, et cetera. So we can kind of picture where we're going to go. Okay. Uh, our clinic is a combo um, with just about 50, 50 uh, clinic and gym. It's total 6,500 square feet and uh, 20, well, through about 3,500 square feet of that is the, um, the actual clinic. And then 3000 is the gym. Uh, we have, uh, we have three Kairos right now, and then we're adding a fourth in July, and we're actually adding physical therapy and, and a PT in June. And then we have like six massage therapists and three chiropractic assistants. All right. And, and how about on the gym side? Two, uh, two trainers. Two and a half. All right. And we have one guy that kind of does. Over the next three months, you think you're going to stay at about two and a half trainers? Hopefully it's three. And they're full time. They're, they're, none of them are are part are part time. Hardest part of uh, of of that question isn't necessarily if we're going to be busy enough to employ another trainer. It's if we're going to be able to find another trainer that's the right fit. Yeah, that's, 
Well, we should definitely talk about that because yep. finding the right trainer is, as you know, an adventure and the right trainer can be amazing, uh, can, can definitely help you grow and whatnot. Um, but it's not all, it's not all puppies and, and daisies, right? Like there are some <laughs> downsides. And rainbows. <laughs> yeah. So in a given week on average, how many total appointments will your facility have between personal training appointments Cairo appointments, massage appointments, just guesstimate it for us here. On a week? Oh, yeah. it's got to be, I don't know, over like 500. Not more. Yeah. So, some, if if not, everything together. Yeah. yeah All right. So you got a lot of footprints going through, uh, through that front door and you guys are seeing some stuff. Now, Along the way, you guys were, uh, if I remember correctly, you had just a clinic, you added a gym on, mm-hmm. and you you basically were operating as clinicians. Then, And you guys are pretty well-versed in exercises, right? Like yeah. every one of your patients got exercise in some part of their care plan, right? Yep, sure. All right, so in the clinic gym model, I say there's three phases. There's the exercise phase where you got to just give exercise to every person. Then you move to the trainer phase where that trainer is doing sessions that are part of the treatment plan. And then finally, you move to the membership phase. So you guys decide to hire a trainer or one trainer or two. I don't know how many it was. So when you get to that point, uh, take us through kind of what you saw from a business perspective. You know, did your capacity increase? Do you remember that? Do you remember how much, you know, did you notice a blip in your revenue? What could somebody look at and say like, hey, we see this trend line going up when you hired those first trainers? And just for clarity, I'm not saying people running classes in the gym. I'm saying the trainers that were working as kind of, the relationship I would say is like an MD and a PA, a physician's assistant, right? They're kind of your CA or playing that role. Yeah. Um, and that's really where the, both of our initial trainers started is they actually were our CAs in the clinic with us. So before we even really built the gym and had it rolling in the way that we do now, we had those trainers alongside us day in and day out in the clinic room uh, as CAs. <clears throat> so they understood the basics of, of, diagnosis, basics of pain management, basics, basics of rehab exercise. And as we kind of had the, the individual conversations with those trainers, we started to find out that some of them wanted to pursue more of the fitness component to, to what we were going to hopefully offer. <clears throat> and so as they kind of matured as CAs, they then had opportunities to become trainers. And that's exactly where they transitioned and how we ended up Uh, essentially installing them as trainers uh, from the get-go. And what it did for us from a a revenue standpoint was, I mean, monumental. I mean, literally with a competent trainer, CA slash trainer, we could treat and effectively bill double what we could pretty much do on our own. Because their extension, uh, I mean, as a CA, they are an extension of our hands in that clinic. So, They could be in the gym doing a lot of rehab. They could be, you know, working with modalities. And that's always been something that's been super helpful in terms of of business growth growth and development is ensuring that they can play these roles that allow us to not only treat more effectively, but get more people in and and, and just see more volume, which was important because we were limited with what we could do with our own hands at that point. That's awesome. And just for, for everybody's clarity, when you hired these people, were they certified personal trainers through NSCA or ACSM, or were they just, uh, as the old song says, just some geek off the street? Yeah, it's actually, that's a really good point and kind of glad that you brought that up first and foremost is both of these individuals, before they were CAs and before they became certified trainers, none of them had any personal training experience at all, zero. Or any, or any, or any medical, training. yeah, any medical training at all. All right. Well, what did you want? Like, what did you see in them that you wanted? Hey, let's move forward. Were they just good at customer service? Did they just have a caring heart? Like, what'd you see? It was a, con- I'd say it was a combination of things. Uh, uh, energy in terms of, you know, their ability to communicate with people, um, but also their passion. They really wanted to trend in that direction. One, one guy was um, like an all-state wrestler and, and really enjoyed, um, coaching and was like, Hey, I want to coach. And this is, you know, I had a lot of people that impacted my life. I want to 
impact uh, other kids' lives, especially high school athletes. That's kind of like what his little niche was. And so finding someone that's passionate, someone that had good energy, was a good communicator, you know, good customer service. They both kind of uh, fit that mold, I guess. Nice. I had a business mentor tell me <laughs> we used to have lunch once a week and just a great, great guy. And he would always have these little quips that he would tell me. And one of them was, if a, if a college wrestler ever applies to your company, just hire him. Because if nothing else, you'll never work that person so hard they complain. They, right. they just collegiate wrestlers just don't have the complaint. You know, they they ran miles and trash bags uphill in a sauna. <laughs> you ask him to sweep the office, it ain't gonna break them. Right. <laughs> so, so you made the right right move there. Uh, going back to that point, looking back, those first you know are always our first employees are the longest ones to train, right? And then we realize, hey, we could have done what took us six months, we can do it in four months. Next time, we can do it in two months. Um, how long do you think it took for them to get up to the point where you think they were, whatever you would say, fully able, fully certified, fully capable of playing that role that you wanted? So we started a lot of that process while the, while the build out was still going on. It's um, called building the airplane while in flight. Like, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. So, um, a lot of it was us going through, particular aspects that we've learned from uh from our certifications that we wanted them to implement yeah so we taught them fms uh fra uh went through and had them take cfsc and went through the whole cfsc process with them and did hands-on training for our progressions and regressions for example like with the with like the onboarding uh process with doing fms and fra and basically a pilot workout of going through, you know, where, where their capabilities are for each specific movement pattern we want to do. Like what, like what implements are you going to use? How do you progress, regress them? Where is their entry point? And the other beautiful thing about that is having a longer assessment process. You can figure out like, Hey, is this person actually ready to jump straight into working with a group or do they need, three, six, 12 sessions of personal individualized training one-on-one because it takes them longer to be able to feel their body and understand what you're looking for. Um, but yeah, it was probably, probably a two to three months of us spending a lot of like Wednesday afternoons because our clinics only open for a half day on Wednesdays. So we would do a lot of the heavy, heavy lifting with them on Wednesday afternoons, probably about two months. And that's, that's two months after they knew all kinds of rehab stuff and had already been. So really it, we're, we're talking actually a year. I think one, one of them worked for us for a whole year before he was really ready to actually start learning what Keith just talked about. And the other was, um, was about six months, I think. So it was a lot more than just, you know, eight, 10 weeks. It was, we're talking a year of time and energy put into this. But that is dramatically decreased with the more recent hires. Absolutely. Of course it always is right. You're like, Oh man, we could have done that super fast. And then you look back also at the cost it took to spend Wednesday afternoons of hours of that. And you're like, hold on a second. We were paying one person to sit there and train two other people to sit there and listen Hmm. Let's see if we can refine this. Yeah. I've been through it as well. And, and I mean, you know, I would recommend everybody like there's no way I think you could get that under three months for the fact for them to get your mission, your vision, your ability. And, uh, now they can have the skills, the blatant skills of like lift this weight, do, you know, do it in this order, but three months is the minimum of you spending time with them. And I don't know if you guys see this, but I find that teaching somebody exercises is kind of the easiest checkoff box. The place where it's very difficult. And I think we overlook as chiropractors is dealing with people who are in pain or were just in pain and getting them to exercise is way different than going into a gym and running a, you know, aerobics class like that, that ain't the same. Right. So can you talk a little bit about that? Of uh, Did you get any lessons of teaching them about things like red flags or, you know, painful transitions and, and what recommendations do you have there? Yeah, I think that uh, that's where it was really beneficial for them up, up front before they were actually like training 
individual one-on-one clients, like membership, you know, or, or small groups, membership-based training is that they had that CA experience. So they were dealing with people in pain all the time and they understood certain things to look for. Like you talk about red flags or just maybe, you know, like what, a, what a flexion intolerant lumbar spine is and how to be able to rehab that and transition that into actual training versus just you know, constant bird dogs and different things all the time. So they had that that exposure and that training for six months to a year before they actually were then kind of exclusively in the gym doing gym stuff and training. Just, I mean, they had that that exposure long before they they actually started training people. So they had a ton of experience clinically with that. All right. So a question for each of you, and you'll each have your own answer. So as I ask this. Try and lock in your answer before you hear the first guy speak, okay? But I'm just interested in this. One way, people always want this to be easy and simple and clean lines. And that's just not how patient care and exercise is, right? Like, what is the day you got strong? It's like, you can't pick that day on a calendar, right? It's a, it's a continuum. But let me ask you this. Once after that year, they are fully trained. If we just asked pain level for the 90% of the people walking in your door, and we use pain level as the marker, Early on, I would guess that anybody over a one or two, you'd probably be uncomfortable handing them to the trainer, right? Day one, like there's any pain whatsoever. It's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll hold back. But as we get more comfortable, what I found is I was much more willing to send a painful client to my trainer because my trainer had the skills to work through it, right? So after a year, what would be your line that Let's say you were just totally booked and you absolutely had no room in your schedule. What would be the highest pain level you'd be willing to send immediately to the trainer where you don't get any, you don't evaluate, you don't, it's all up to the trainer at this point. What would be the pain level just using a zero to 10 scale? So 10 out of 10 pain would be, you know, the worst pain they've ever had in their life. What, what would be the highest level of uh, patient reporting pain that you'd be willing to send to that trainer after they are fully certified, whatever you guys want to call it, fully trained, had a year experience and all that. We'll just lock in your answer and don't, don't, don't change your answer for in case you hear the other guy say anything. I would say, go first. I would say a seven. A okay. Seven you would send a, a patient with seven out of 10 pain yeah. to the trainer. Yeah. Right. Now I'm going to guess not every patient. I'm not saying every patient with seven out of 10, just if it, things get tight. Yep. That's, that's, open. that's the max of, that's the max out, but yeah, kind of, Kind of a, a okay. green, yellow, red light for me. Anything above, above that, you know, eight, nine, ten is obviously yeah. bad. But I, it's very common for seven out of ten okay. to be able to do some directional preference or whatever, reduce that quickly, and then start. And your trainers knew that they knew how to handle yep. that. Yep. Awesome, Keith. What about you? I was I was thinking a five, um, but it also as long as we already have a care plan set up and we know what's going on. It, the big thing is they know the exercises not to do or the ones that would be the most likely to make it make mm-hmm. them worse. And as long as like, that's really the, the biggest thing is them feeling comfortable and confident mm-hmm. that they're not going to make them worse. All right. Yeah. Uh, my, I'm, I'm right along uh, with Nate. I'm like six, seven ish, but I can tell you exactly why is yeah. I wouldn't first off, send a six or seven with any random personal trainer out to the gym. I'm sending it out (laughs) in the clinic and understand what we're okay with. And honestly, we're not saying that they are becoming a six or seven in the gym. They're going out there with pain. What's to say, what's not to say that they're going to get better while training. So I think that as long as they don't increase pain levels dramatically by going through movements, which I know these trainers and when they were, when they were with us, they were, doing that uh, daily where they were checking in consistently with these clients. Hey, how are you feeling? You have this kind of nagging thing going on. Is it the same? Is it better? Is it worse? Can you keep going? You know, and, and, and I can also tell you that the communication to the clients was pretty thorough. So it was made known to them right up front. that Which hey, is good for one or two levels of pain. I mean, if you clearly communicate to somebody that's an eight out of 10 pain, they'll become six out of 10 in front of your eyes sometimes, you know, it's people yeah. underestimate that sometimes. Yeah. And so that's pretty much how I looked at, at the, the, the scenario of sending them out there is I knew those trainers weren't going to 
They weren't going to train them into some super high pain levels. And if anything, they probably train them and they get better. And if they don't, then they're the same as they were when they went in there. And I'm, I'm, I was okay with that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think I go ahead. I was just say, I, I had definitely have a patient who was probably six, seven out of 10 kept getting injured doing activities. And it's just like, look, we don't have enough touches and enough time to really work on the skills you need to do. How I, how I like, for you to build the capacity you need. So for them, I haven't seen them in clinically in almost a year, but they were probably a six, seven out of 10 when they started training and then they're not in any pain anymore and haven't been for months, but that just, yeah. uh, just also depends on some of the cases it makes more sense. And, and again, this is like an ultra simplified version, right? Like for me, if somebody has an instability, like a true instability, so, um, a pars fracture that is symptom that has symptomatology around it. Like even if they're at a five, which would on your scale seem a little bit low, I would probably handle that because instability is way more difficult than just like, Hey, mechanical low back pain that's flared up. But I just want everybody to, to that's listening to understand the reason we promote this, this idea of like the trainer being a CA. If you listen to like what you guys just said, seven, even if it's five out of 10, but seven out of 10 is probably 80 to 90% of all the people walking in. So if we look at the medical setup, like an MD walking in, what percent of people would they send to a PA? And it's probably the same thing. About 80 to 90% could go to the PA. Now, who do you keep? Who does the MD keep? The ones that have multiple comor comorbidities, advanced age, you know, they're being managed in some other way. And I think people should really look at that model instead of what we see in chiropractic, which is only the chiropractor can handle everything. Right. And I just think like, of course you can, but do you really want to? Right. So this leads to my next question. And I, I want to move off of like the glory days here after this question, because <laughs> there's definitely some dips. If we looked at your schedule, like how many patients you guys could handle uh, before those trainers ever walked in, in a, in a, again, a week, like how many patient visits could the clinic handle? And then you add those people in um, these highly trained CAs. Uh, what I, the reason I'm asking this question, let me just go back real quick. A lot of times people are like, oh yeah, I have a CA and they help out, but it doesn't actually increase their capacity. They're, they're participating in the care, but they're not actually taking any care on their own shoulders and carrying it forward, which I think is a huge missed opportunity. I mean, basically I would say like, if you, if you guys got the flu tomorrow, what percentage of your patients could still get a visit, could still be billed, could still do that. It's pretty high, right? So when, if you look at the number of visits you could handle in a, in a week before the trainers came on and then after that year of them certified, what did we see for growth potential or capacity or whatever you want to say there? Do you have any, do you remember any numbers like that? Well, I mean, I think there's two, there's two things to, to say about that. To answer your direct question, it is, uh, I mean, you probably go from seeing 50 people to 80 or more. Um, and then, and I'm not talking about a day, I'm talking about a week or, or for actually it's more like three or four days, but so yes, you're going to increase how many people you see, but I think it's also important to show the, the quality of, of that care also, in my opinion, also grows, right? They're, they're able yeah. to execute a, a much higher level than if you're just doing that all by yourself. So you go from, if you did a 30 minute visit and maybe, maybe spent 30 or 45 minutes with a patient, well, now you can do uh, 15 minutes and the trainer or whoever can do 15, 20 minutes. And now, now all of a sudden those people are getting, uh, if you're, especially if you're booked out, you're able to get a lot more people in. They're still getting 30, 45 minutes of visit. They're still getting exercise with, you know, for, for every patient. So not only are you adding a ton of revenue, you're seeing way more patients and they're also getting really quality care versus seeing that high number of patients, but not getting the same quality of care because you don't have time to do yeah. all the, the exercise. With them. And if you think right. about the other it, thing, if, oh, go ahead, bud. If Sorry. you think about it through the lens of like developing the gym side of the business, it's also imperative that patients are exposed to the gym. And that gets really hard to do when you're treating patients by yourself. You're running from room Exposed to room. Exposed to the gym long before we want them in the yeah, gym, right? Like, yeah. yeah. They go out yeah. to our gym. They go out and they do their rehab out there. 
But that becomes really hard to do. If I'm in the clinic, I have two people in rooms, I'm jumping back and forth between rooms, trying to use my hands to do what, what I can get paid most to do, which is work on diagnose and work on people with my hands. And then trying to find time to take those people out to the gym myself. It just is, you know, at best it's inefficient and ineffective. You know, at worst, you're just not providing that good of a service. And the thing I was going to add in, I think Keith mentioned this before that I think, you know, so this is great. You guys actually beat the standard number. I always say that if you, if you add in one of these people, it should expand your clinical capacity by at least 40%, right? You should, if you're seeing a hundred patients in a week, getting to 140 with a highly trained trainer playing the CEO role is not hard. You guys beat that. You're up around 50 to 60%. So that's even better. Uh, but the other side of the coin is we only, you know, like you said, there's only two things we can do that nobody else in the clinic can do. Number one, diagnose. Number two, adjust, right? Even a lot of the muscle work can be done by a secondary, but yeah. we're pretty damn good at it. So you can kind of balance that out. So we should be doing those things. But the, the other side of the coin I would say is if you look at a pyramid of all your patients, the bottom pyramid is the kind of mechanical low back pain, the, you know, shoulder impingement, three out of 10, like the, 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 80, 20 of all the people, right? These are the boring stuff. I mean, it's what makes up the bulk of your practice, but it's not the stuff that really gets us out of, out of bed and gets you to go to new seminars. But if we get to the peak of the pyramid, the challenging cases, the ones where, you know, you're the fourth person to see them and, um, you know, they have a lot of stuff. What that capacity also allows you to do is when you see that case pop up in front of you, that is a true, you know, zebra. It's so refreshing to be able to go like, Mrs. Johnson, um, this last patient's taking a little bit of time. I'm going to have you start out with, you know, our trainer, um, Mark or whoever, whatever your trainer's name is. Uh, I just need a few more minutes and know that that handoff is not a hand down. It's not dumping on Mark. It's actually the person's going to start out really well and we'll probably have some good tissue tone changes and things like that. And then you can grab them at the last minute. But you can get really famous in your area if you take on a few really complicated cases that have seen a lot of people in your area, especially if they're the kind of complicated case that keeps going back to their primary care and telling them how, oh, that, you know, that PT couldn't fix me, that Cairo just, you know, cracked me and nothing happened. And then you're the first person to go, I'm going to commit some serious brain power here because I'm not distracted by my two out of 10 tail end of a, you know, a sore hip with some FAI, like, okay. It's actually boring. funny Funny that you say that because just, just before you said that, I was literally thinking about Tuesday before, before we, uh, we came, we're, we're up at, at, a, at an MDT part D course in Portland this weekend. And uh, the day before, obviously being out the rest of the week, Monday and Tuesday were pretty packed and stacked days. And it's a perfect example of what you're saying when those, and, and go figure, it always works this way, right? Whenever you're the busiest, the schedule's completely packed, what happens? Who walks through the door? The person who you are absolutely- It's a freaking magnet. It is a magnet when your schedule's like- <laughs> That's right, man. So what comes in is, you know, Ms. Jones comes in, who's normally fine, and she can barely walk in the front door, you know? And it's like, where am I going to find time to feel good about leaving this encounter, knowing I did something good for this person? What you said is exactly what I do with my CA is I'm like, Hey, you know, and he knows me well enough to know this. He's like, we got a doozy in there. And I'm like, yep. I'm like, so I'm going to be in there for 30 minutes, man. So I need you to go in the gym and I need you to, to review this stuff and perform these, these therapies or whatever. And if we don't skip a beat, you know, we've done it now for a while, but that. It, you're right. There's clinical freedom. And I think at the end of it, and what drives almost all of us to do that kind of stuff is we want to be the best at what we do flat out. And you can't be the best at what you do. If you're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, not able to address people's actual problems because you're trying to fit a day that for all, all intensive purposes is overbooked. Right. Um, and so, yeah, yeah or the fourth, the fourth person in a row who has similar findings is a bad way to help you see what the fifth person has. You know, right. if you're like, yep. oh yeah, everybody has this or everybody needs, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like everybody has a bad SLR and then the fifth person has a clean SLR, but yet still is complaining about, you know, radiating pain down your leg, their leg. And you're like, oh, that's unusual. Yeah. Huh. 
or something. You, know, you got to kind of stop and take a breath and be like, oh, what do I need to do now? And it's like, well, you need to clear out the next 15 minutes of your schedule and maybe some more after that. So, there you go. All right. Well, for the sake of time, I, I want to move on. So you guys are doing well. You're kicking ass. You move these people. And just to, to kind of condense the story here, you got these two great trainers, right? Uh, they, they end up, like you said, they wanted to coach more in the gym, right? Um, they certainly have the skill set to take a patient at seven out of 10 or, you know, or below. And they also have the ability to take somebody who's coming in the gym essentially with no pain, but it's just like, Hey, I heard you guys are the place to be. They come in, they start doing that aspect. Your gym starts growing with, with, uh, what would we call that gym based clients? The ones that haven't necessarily come out of the clinic, right? getting a ton of people from the clinic into the gym, which is a, the number one growth strategy of a clinic gym hybrid. But then you get some just clean gym members. And uh, by the way, just a, a clarification point. I always say that within a year, 100% of your gym people will end up at some point going back to the clinic, even if it's for one or two visits. Would you say that's pretty consistent? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that every single client, if you will, that's in the gym has come in for clinical care at some point. It, yeah. Now I'm not saying like a full, like 26 visit treatment plan, right? Sometimes it's like a little tune up here and there, but they do engage yeah. you. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. It's just reassuring, you know, because Grants Pass is such a weird area with weird people that even there, the numbers that I talk about hold up. You know? <laughs> they watch. <laughs> talk about you to your face. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so everything's going smooth. You train the hell out of these people. And you guys make a decision business-wise that, hey, we're not going to, we're going to make you part of the team. You're going to wear our jersey and talk about that real quick. So what I mean by that is you could have a 1099 contractor and save yourself some money on the front end. You could have a W-2 employee, which is more expensive, but there's some advantages there. Which way do you guys decide to go? So we ultimately decided that they had to be employees. Um, and, and that was for a couple of reasons. Um, but the biggest is that it makes sure that you still hold the, uh, the reins, if you will. Um, as a contractor, they can pretty much come and go you know, as they please. They're, whether you have an agreement of some sort with them or not, they kind of can do what they want. They can kind of still train how they want. They can uh, decide when they want to come into work or not. Uh, legally, you know, you, you can't do a whole lot other than have like a handshake and say, hey, do what we want you to do. And they'll say, okay, but when push comes to shove, there's nothing binding them to that. So uh, we decided let's have, let's, let's still have that power and let's do uh, W2 employees. So we did. And that was very beneficial just because uh, we were able to actually have much more systematic approach to things. And then keep, we, we knew exactly what was being done and how it was being done. And, and we had um, better control in terms of what was going on in our gym. We didn't want, you know, just any trainer that was a, a 1099 employee, a contractor just coming in and running a class and leaving, uh, there was a lot more buy-in from, from the trainer and there was a lot higher, um, higher end product that was put out by us employing them. Yeah. And I think that, uh, to go a little deeper there, I guess that the, the simple way I look at it is this, um, when you hire a 1099 contractor, you're basically paying them to do a job, but you don't get that much say into how they do it. So for trainers, they're coming in, we're paying you to train. How they do it is kind of up to their discretion, right? It's like if you pay a contractor to come in and build something at, at your house, I mean, how are, how are they going to do it? Well, that's up to the contractor, right? So I think that that is a simple way of looking at kind of how it could become a hazard if you're running a very systematic business and you have a very specific approach and you're trying to produce a very reproducible product. Uh, right. If you uh, if you don't do that, you can lose control real quick and things spiral. But even more so, yeah. uh, you can you lose the team aspect and the community aspect because it's almost like now you're having a stranger come into your business who isn't really a part of your team. There isn't that community. I mean, we look at we look at fitness businesses like like CrossFit 
boxes, right? Why are they so popular? Why is there such a, uh, you know, a, a support for that community? It's because of the community. People feel like they're part of the team. They don't feel like everyone's there doing their own thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, you know, you guys are talking about the benefits of it. And part of this pot, the point of this podcast was to talk about the dark side. I hope the reason everybody resists making every W2 employees, especially in the gym is it's expensive. It's my accountant tells me it's at least 20% more if you, with just the addition of paying a little bit more, you know, payroll tax and, and all the different things you have to kind of ensure to get the ability to tell them exactly how you want it done. Mm-hmm. And I would agree a hundred percent with you guys where I would say employees are a better setup long-term but your accountant is going to argue with you about like, oh no, then it's so expensive. It's like, right, but I need this person to fly our flag. I need them to wear our jersey and play for our team, not whatever team they want to go to. So that leads to this next thing. So there you are. You've made, you guys have spent the money. You've trained the hell out of them. You spent hours and days and weeks, months training them, right? I'm sure you've sacrificed a lot of stuff, bought a lot of coffees, given a lot of high fives. Everything's going smooth. And then what happens? Well, <laughs> this is somewhat of a long story, but uh, one, of our, one of our trainers who was basically kind of, if you want to say she was the lead trainer, that's pretty much what she was. She was probably um, one of the best in terms of her ability to actually uh, think critically and not just do what we told them to do, but actually be able to think for herself and execute things fairly well. Uh, she worked for us for a year and a half. Um, it trained, actually it was almost two years, and she trained in the gym for almost a year and a half. And in, in July, we started kind of noticing a few changes personality-wise. She wasn't as uh, energetic. She seemed uh, a little bit more distant and wasn't quite uh, the same person as as normal. She'd also kind of stir the pot a little bit. She would go to one owner. So she would go to Nick and say something about me and then go to someone else and say something else about them and all these things that were just not not ideal. And uh, to, <laughs> to put it lightly, she ended up asking if she got her vacation paid out or if she had to use it which we said, we are, I want to encourage you to take your vacation, get away from this place for a little bit. Uh, don't, we don't want to just pay you out. So she took a vacation. Again, a benefit of being a W-2 employee, right? Right. Yep. And then as soon as she comes back, she basically says, okay, I'm going to put in my two weeks. And you know, with how we train people up, you can't just hire someone and be like, yeah, okay, get, get in there. So <laughs> we had a conversation with her and we're like, hey, look, like, we have, we do have someone else actually we can hire, but we have to train her. Like, would you please do us a favor over, over the course of the next, uh, the next month, or I think it was next six weeks or so, and just help us train her. Like it would be a lot for, for you know, mean a lot to us because we feel like we've invested quite heavily in you and, and don't do us like that basically. So she says, okay, well, that entire time, that she was helping train, she was setting up her own personal training business. And she created all her content, uh, her website, her Instagram, her Facebook, uh, all of that stuff uh, used on our dime. So she was literally doing some of that on our computers at work when we weren't watching. Um, And then we, uh, I think it was about I don't know, four, four or five days before she was actually going to be gone, like her last day. And I started seeing her post while she was still working for us, all the stuff that she's leaving, she's telling clients. I, I'm now starting to see that clients are not re-upping their, their memberships. Um, and it's a very specific type of client. She was starting to take all the, the female clients because she wanted to do her own female, basically female gym and just exclusively trained female clients. So she starts posting all of the stuff about her leaving. And then what ended up happening is uh, I got on the link because I 
she wasn't hiding it, got on the link, looked at her website. She literally took every single thing that we had done and taught her and duplicated it. The entire assessment process, the like the same wording. And then she put a legal disclaimer on there that it was all of her, uh, her own her own time intellectual property i think was the term and if anyone said that or or you know tried to say that it wasn't her or whatever it's basically a copyright type thing even though it wasn't copyrighted but she basically took our entire system and she literally went half of a mile down the road and opened up her own gym and then on her website had testimonials from women that were in our that were still that had never worked out in that facility had worked no, out in your facility. Yeah, so any they were, testimony, well, they were like training that morning, literally in our yeah. gym with her. And just, she had three testimonials from our own, our, our own clients. And, and uh, it was, <laughs> it was very eye opening. And, and we knew she was going to go be a trainer somewhere. We knew that we didn't even care about that, but it was just the blatant taking of everything that we had done and then promoting it within our business and how she oh, went about brilliant. everything. I mean, she, literally, she didn't, if she just waited, you know, two weeks after she left and did it, then then that's one thing. But she did it while she was still working for us and set it up on our dime. Which Do you mind up, if I share a, heart, a, a, a story yeah. really similar to yours? Yeah. So I had my facility. We hire this young kid. Uh, he's a massage therapist and a trainer. Um and you can see he's got, like you're saying, like critical thinking skills, all those things, right? Good personality, et cetera. Uh, I remember the conversation where I said, hey, I want you to come over more. Like, you know, I want to start teaching you all these methods. And I remember the conversation. Well, I promised the, the, the gym he's working for is like a big box gym. I promised them that I would complete this Poseidon's Fury water aerobics, water aerobics class. That was the thing in our way from getting him over to our system was he had to continue teaching Poseidon's Fury, right? So just to get it into like perception. So we're going from water aerobics for 72-year-old women to a performance-based model of assessment and problem solving, right? So he's arguing with me why he can't come over. Cool. So luckily, water aerobics class contract ends, comes over. I proceed to basically like, what assessment do you have? Nothing. What, you know, how do you find what to do? I don't like what, so I'm like, okay, so let's start from the beginning. So I basically like you guys taught him, uh, because he was a massage therapist, so he could handle some, some tissue work. So he learned the SFMA. I taught him the FMS. I taught him the Y balance. I taught him the TPI level one screen. I taught him the CFSC, um, FRC, all the things that I thought were good. We either brought him into the, into the gym or, I taught him specifically, right? And then I, thinking I was investing in this person, thinking that it was going to benefit, you know, not, I don't want to say benefit me, mutually beneficial. I want to have the highest paid person, I mean, the highest trained person ever, right? So I take him with me when I would teach SFMA courses, right? We went down to Southern California. He went there. He met some of the, you know, developers of the SFMA. I take him to the, uh, this big golf conference and introduce them to people there, right? Like I was like, Hey, I'm going to introduce you to everybody I can because I'm investing in you. Right. Uh, along the way, we had a couple of professional golfers. We had a NBA player, all these people. And I was, he was working with them. And then mysteriously, oh, mysteriously, those people start kind of coming off the schedule. And I'm like, Oh, that's weird. And then I find out that he was using our computers to use our perform better discount to go buy the gym equipment to build his own training thing. Uh, all these people that he was working with, uh, like just start disappearing off our books and going there. And then within a year and a half, he ends up on this like top 50 trainers for golf list. And I'm like, Hey, that's awesome. You know, like, do they, so, cause in my petty mind, I'm going, Oh, that's awesome. So they have an award for people who taught Poseidon's fury. That's incredible. Like, <laughs> you know, like it's amazing. <laughs> now it's, I struggle with this because like I said, that's being petty. He had the initiative, he learned, he integrated, he taught it. Right. But it's still like, dude, I, <laughs> some sort of verbal thank you and a thank you in action of, Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, this opportunity is whatever. I'm like, that'd be nice to hear. That'd be nice to know. That'd be nice to, you know, I, I would love to appreciate that. And also 
Then he went on a podcast and talked about his method of developing things. And I'm like, God dang, I've heard that somewhere. Where did I hear that? Oh yeah, I I built that process. That's exactly, and I trained you in that process. And I trained people you work with in that process. And I developed it and I saw how it worked. And then I marketed that locally. That's where I've seen that process. And it's just like, God dang it, what do you do, you know? So it's incredibly disappointing in that regard. But again, that mentor that I had said, all right, what's the other option? Would you have rather you never taught him anything? I'm like, well, no, I would not want that person flying our flag, wearing our colors, who didn't know anything. You know, the fact that he was good enough is part of the, I don't know what you want to say. It's part of it. But I'm I'm telling you this because, you know, I, I haven't shared that story, but it was just so eerily similar to yours. I'm like, this happens a lot, you know, this happens a lot. And what do you do? Like, I mean, I can tell you what I would be thinking. I would be like, okay, hey, uh, Keith, Nick, when do you guys want to go firebomb or place? I don't, you know, I mean, obviously we'll wait till everybody leaves, but I, I bought some bottles to make some model of cocktails. Um, you think Wednesday night, Thursday night, when's, when's good for you guys, you know? Um, well, I can say, I, I can say that one of the hardest pills to swallow is, is kind of a, well, obviously it's the feeling of betrayal more than anything else. Yeah, but, but absolutely. The, but the main, it's like a slap in your face. Like you well, did all this work, you invest in that person. And I look back, I'm like, and I don't know if you guys have this feeling, like, what did you bring us? Like this was set up as a synergistic relationship. 100%. I dumped into you a thousand, everything I could do. I, you couldn't find anything I could more I could do for you. And I, and the return would have been years two through five. That's right. where I would have got a return. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You made it to 19 months or whatever, you know? Right. I mean, and that's what I was just about to say is like the thing that's the hardest pill to swallow for me is first and foremost, when she came on in the business, absolutely zero fitness or training oh. background, zero, none. Dude, she applied for a front desk job at our satellite clinic. Yeah. And, and then we were like, oh, like you have. And so yeah. she was, so through the process with us, became NASM certified, became precision nutrition certified, became CFSC certified. I literally would spend- Becomes literally the top 1% of her profession. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And imagine that in a small town like Grants Pass. In a year. Yeah. In a year. Six months. Yeah. Yes. So so to go through that whole thing, I mean, and and this would have softened the blow, wouldn't have made it completely- uh, benign, but to at least give credit and recognition for where that stuff came from for her yes. would have meant a lot to me. And I heard a quote, um, I forget exactly who said it, but they said something like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with giving credit where credit is due. And mm-hmm. for some reason, especially it's weird, like in the fitness industry, there's so much dang ego, man. It's, it's, it's people yeah. don't, they don't want to talk about where the, we have absolutely no, when we've made this very clear, because you go on our website right now, it will literally say this. We name the systems we use. We give the credit to the people that taught us. We don't say we invented FRA. We don't say we invented the FMS. We don't say we invented the CFSC. We actually yeah. say we run these systems because they're the best that we can find. We're just going to do right. our best really good at them. You know, a good version of that is like when you go to a high-end restaurant and they're like, we only use, you know, uh, Smith Smith Farms Black Angus beef because we find it's the best. Like, yeah, you can order the beef from here and the carrots from there and the celery from there, the best ingredients. But you still, somebody's still got to put all that stuff together. Right. And taking FRS, FR, FRC and CFSC and the SFMA and all that, that's great. And thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have taken those but putting it all together is the challenge. Putting it all together is the, that's where you shine. But it's, it's, it's just good business practice, if nothing else. Even if you don't feel it in your heart, like giving credit to those, you know, and, and the people along the way. And yeah, like what would have been the downside on her website to say like, hey, I had the pleasure or I was lucky enough to mentor or to, to um, get trained by the, uh, chiropractors over at, you know, what is it? Total, total chiro performance, total performance. Yeah. Like, you know, two, two sentences on your website, like what that would have said, or, you know, even brag about it. Like I saw the clinic, I was clinically trained in a place that saw people with pain every day. Like not only would that reassure your clients, lady, like you should say, thank you. You know, 
So yes, there are crappy people out there. You and I have both experienced it and it sucks. And, um, yeah, uh, I'm sorry you guys went through that. I know how much it, it stung me and you know, it makes you think like, I'm never going to do that again, but you still have a business and you still have a capacity that you got to fill. Right. And you still know what it could do. So to, you know, I would say it when she left between just the, the, upheaval that it created the chaos and then her taking some of the clients we probably lost i don't know between 35 and 40 percent of our clients after that and we had to get new trainers and build them up and now we're we're up and going and, and cooking again but i mean we're talking it's been uh almost six months so it took us a good five months to kind of recover from that and get back on the right yeah. tra- trajectory how much did it affect your overall revenue? I mean, you guys got massage therapists, you got 17 different things, but. Well, I mean, from the gym, we, let me put it this way. I think we, at, at the peak when things were going well, we were, we were almost at, at doing about $15,000 a month and, and we had been open for one year and we went from that to like seven, maybe 7,500. It was so like half. At least of- cut it in half. Yeah. And then, you know, now it's kind of coming back, but, um, it, it was a blow. It was a momentum killer, big time, big time. Well, and it obviously also limited us a ton with just putting new people in the gym. You're down a trainer. Oh yeah. You don't have, now we don't have the capacity to actually fill schedule. I mean, the other trainer that was there was overloaded. He was super full and he was having to train new trainers and, you know, it just, it didn't make for, it made for a very uncomfortable situation mm-hmm. for us business wise. Yeah. But all that being said, I mean, as, as Nate already mentioned, since that time, we learned a couple things. <laughs> and one of the first things is how to deal with these individual scenarios and basically protect ourselves going forward. But um, in addition to that, we really got good at looking at taking a step back for a minute and looking at our systems in the gym. And instead of, instead of, I mean, you obviously hear that you hear how much it didn't feel good for that to happen to us. But one thing we all did was kind of sat back one night, had a couple beers around the fire and said like, what could we have done to make this something that we could have hurdled over easier? And what it did is it allowed us to just expand the hell out of our systems and make them super effective and make sure there was no communication breakdowns in, in any way that we could and make sure that the trainers that are in the gym by themselves often feel communicated with and connected to the team and really kind of just trying to find ways to, to maximize, you know, that part of the business instead of just kind of solely focusing on gaining members and seeing revenue come in and, you know, so that's been good. I can say that that's been something that I think. Yeah, you guys are lucky. Uh, let me tell you my version of it. I didn't have business partners at the time and, you know, I didn't have anybody. So I was laying in my bed, sweating, staring at the ceiling, not sleeping, thinking, man, what did I do wrong? Where where could I have gone? And like wondering what was happening around me, you know, like, am I just a total a-hole? Like, <laughs> you know, like yeah, right. so angry and like so disappointed at the same time and hurt. So yeah. That's good. I mean, those are the things that will build your business to be bigger and stronger in the future. And, and it's it's pretty rare to find anybody that crests, you know, let's just use a million dollars in revenue or or five million in, in, in certain things where they don't have a time where it almost got shut down or it almost broke in half. You know, that's just how it goes. And it's the same with, uh, you know, you ever hear about power lifters and people in the gym like it's most common that somebody got injured before their world record attempt. And their, their comeback, their rehab led, I had to really work on my technique. I had to really improve my setup. I had to do, you know, that's when I first got exposed to intra-abdominal pressure and things. And it's like, uh, it doesn't just happen in business. So, so just to, we got about five minutes left here, but just looking forward, uh, I don't want everybody to leave this podcast going, well, that's it. I didn't want to hire somebody early and I ain't going to hire him now (laughs) after hearing those two stories. But in all seriousness, like, you guys saw what it was like with these people and you would never go back to a different business model, right? Of a clinician only business model, right. I'm going to guess. So as you move forward, what are some, can you each maybe give one tip or advice that, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I'll start off with mine, but one tip or advice, or if you guys want to give us just three moving forward, building up that team that you're like, I'll never do it this way 
Um, I'm never going to go back because I realized what a problem that was. So ours is we will, we, we do meetings every 90 days now. And we do this, what's called a VTO vision traction organizer. It's out of the traction book EOS. It turns out I didn't make this up. I actually learned it from somebody. So let me give them credit. We literally just started reading that book. I'm not Perfect. kidding. Oh, oh, we yeah. As a group of business yeah. owners, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Good. And I think it's awesome. And so we do the VTO. Hold on. I have it somewhere here. It, uh, uh, it's, on, it's on. I cleared off some things on my desk here, but sitting over next to my desk. We, we talk about what are we going to accomplish that, um, you know, in the next 10 years, three years, one year and 90 days. And then every 90 days we meet and say like, what can we accomplish? And since we have done that, we have hit a freaking home run every quarter, knock on wood. Right. But what I realized before is I just said, Hey, we should all grow. And that sometimes got translated to, Hey, you should grow your own thing. Not worry about what the team's doing. And I'll never go back to doing it the other way. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you guys? I can piggyback. Yeah, a on, I can piggyback a little bit on that, and I will say this. So this isn't going to be the exact same thing as you said, but it's something again that has changed a lot for us, especially over the last like three to six months ish. Is how important the development of systems are as you get bigger as a business. And we've had conversations recently about expanding the business, you know, what is what does it look like with multiple clinics down the road? What does it look like with and we're talking clinic gyms, right? So yeah. One thing we've kind of come to the realization of I can and, get behind that idea. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> one thing we taught we came to the realization of is, you know, we're it's just us three and our other business partner, Scott Thorson, who's who's down in, in GP right now. But man, if we want to own more clinics and gyms that are tied together, we have to have systems that ensure that number one, our product gets delivered in the way that we want it to. But we have to have systems that basically run themselves when we're not there because we can't be everywhere all the time. And, and, and it's systems that not only involve like the runnings of the business, but also what you just talked to, which is what you're really referring to is sitting down and having good communication. That's really what it is. It's like making sure that things are being communicated well across the entire business. And that goes from the, the, the smallest part-time piece you have to these, you know, maybe bigger pillars, business owners, so on and so forth. But if you don't have systems that help you along the way, your business really becomes unscalable and it's hard to grow without failing until you realize that's needed. And then you change it. And I think you can continue yeah. on. Yeah, you want to turn into McDonald's where it's so systematized. Somebody leaves like, I'm going to, I'm going to go out. And then it's like, Oh, you, you think you can make hamburgers like we did? Like your hamburgers aren't as good as the ones I'll make. It's like, right. But go Like if you think the hamburgers are the challenge here, buddy, like you are so, (laughs) (laughs) that is such an infinitesimal part of what this business is all about. So that's awesome. Uh, Sorry. What about you, Nate or Keith? Uh, I would say um, that, it, well, I guess for, for me, first of all, what Nick said, it kind of encompasses like everything, like everything's kind of under a sub, you know, subcategory of that. But, uh, one, one thing that I you hear got, that Nick, you have all the answers. <laughs> your, your brother finally said it out loud. Like it's recorded. You are, you are the smart one. You've all the answers period. We can end it right there. One thing that I think, uh, I took from this and I, I think that, you know, Nick and Keith would probably say the same thing is um, having a um, at least in our structure, because we do have multiple owners and docs, having a designated person to handle gym stuff like the gym side of the business, because sometimes you can have too many cooks in the kitchen. And when you do have that, you know, sometimes the management is not even if you all share the same vision, you might answer things slightly def- different. And that kind of burned us. Um, we, we had, you know, similar messaging, but it was, it was similar. It wasn't the exact same. And, and so once we kind of realized, Hey, we, we need one person to go ahead and manage the trainers and kind of meet just with them versus us having a group meeting and then they don't know who to go to. Should I go to Nate for this? Should I go to Nick for that? Should I go to Scott for this? Having one person that really kind of ran that side and headed it up once again, going to the next thing of systems, like that was uh, really important for us to be able to communicate well and then 
grow appropriately. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, you know, one thing in every, I, I can't remember what business book, I think it's Scaling Up by Vern Harnish, which is a great book once you guys are done with traction, but it's really for that middle ground of once you have a system and you're, you're making some good revenue, what do you do next? But he says, you know, in the end, for every part of your business, there should be one name who is accountable for it. So mm-hmm. you have to account for every dollar spent, every action taken, every message sent out. And it's, it has to be one person. As soon as you have two in there, you have a problem. You just don't realize it yet. Yep. So even it's like, hey, who's in charge of ordering Windex for the, the uh, you know, for the office? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I'll go pick it up. I'm going to Costco anyways, or I'll go. And then you end up with 64 half empty bottles of Windex. He's like one name, one name does inventory for the Windex, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that goes along exactly what you're talking about. Whereas early on, you're like, if everybody can contribute, we'll get so much farther. And it's like, yeah, but you don't realize that that's um, creating a lot of, of confusion future in the future. Yep. Uh, Keith, what do you got? Um, so along the lines of more specificity on some of the systems, one of the biggest things, particularly with onboarding and decreasing that time frame uh, to get someone prepared is reference material. So that's where, you know, we have our trainers go th- through their CFSC or like, you know, they'll come and ask me questions about an aspect of programming. And I'm like, Hey, look, I know that answer is in Mike Boyle's lecture uh, in this specific lecture or that specific lecture. So I want you to go watch that. And then we can come back and have, have that quick conversation. And, and it's always gearing back to something that is unchanging. Um, in that standpoint. So like, okay, if you, if you have questions on how to progress, regress this, well, go to these videos, check out those. You have this reference material like, oh, hey, here are our baselines for you right now. Your primary like thing you need to be able to do is you need to be able to do baselines. And you need to be able, really good at, at teaching and coaching the regressions. Then we can get you better at all the other things. Uh, but having, having that that piece of it. Cause we don't have time to, to do three, four hours of training once a week. Yeah. Like it's just, once things get so busy on the clinic side and all the other tasks we have to do, you're just, you don't have the time to, to do all of the, all the education. So having those references and saying, Hey, go learn this and then we'll fine tune it together. But I need you to go get the, that base material. The other thing is like a lot of times you need more than one touch to learn something. I have mentors who I've heard give the same lecture 15 times and every single time I learn something new. So being able to have that kind of reference material and just say, Hey, go back. You need to retouch this. Then we'll fine tune. Uh, it's, it's really helpful on decreasing that time frame. So it's not, you know, 12 months to get them prepped. You can get it done in three. Can I give you guys a suggestion around there? I'm going to share this at our live event in Dallas, which everybody should sign up for, by the way. Go to clinicgymhybrid.com and uh, look for the live event in Dallas, May 21st, 22nd. Um, I found a kind of a good recipe for teaching, which is put together a 12-week program, which is about 90 days or a quarter of the year, right? And if, if you need something to put the 10 buckets of exercise, week one, week two, week three, week three, all the way through 10, then one week of red flags, and then one week of customer service, Right. And then just set up a simple Google Doc or a spreadsheet or a video and say, hey, here's what we're covering this week. Your responsibility is to study and understand these before our training meeting. So before your Wednesday thing, and then film yourself doing these and send it to me before Wednesday. Right. So they have to go through it. And the proof is that they send you the video. Right. Now you can have it can be a super work built out system of when they submit to a site and it pings you or whatever, or you can just do it through text message early on, but getting them to send a video in shows you. And then you can also watch and go, Oh my God, like either my instructions are bad or this person's an idiot. But one of those two things is true right now. (laughs) Um, But submitting that video and same thing with customer service or answering the phone, right? Just set up a a video of you answering the phone or faking the call uh, works pretty good. So having them send that back to you, but it also gives a checkpoint of, are you done with your homework? Because telling people, oh, go review this. It's like, well, that's kind of, yeah, I reviewed it. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. That's where the homework that. is super important to make sure that yeah. they're actually understanding yeah. material. And I think 
Yeah, it's a great point. Doing that, the video, their video is due before you guys do your group training because mm-hmm. then you know they've been through it once and then you can talk about like, hey, in your video, Keith, I noticed that actually your foot placement was not correct. Remember, it's four steps forward and then, you know, or whatever it is. And it allows you to, to go back and do that. And it lets everybody know like, hey, we don't F around here. <laughs> like you're responsible for knowing it before the training, not you're going to come to the training and know it after. Like, no, no, you got to know 75 to 80% of it before you walk in the doors. So anybody listening, I hope that helps. But anyways, fellas, listen, I really appreciate your time. And I appreciate the fact that you guys, uh, your chins look kind of tough there from taking a couple <laughs> blows on them. So congratulations. I truly do hope that, uh, that this drives you guys forward and you produce some better systems and better methods of operating because the, the worst part about that story that you told me, and I think the worst part of mine is you did all the right things, yeah. right? It wasn't that you, you were trying to screw everybody. It wasn't that you did, misled them. It wasn't that. It's like you did almost too many right things. And I, but I don't want to live in a world where it's like, oh, we're going to pay a little bit less or we're not going to teach them the secret sauce because they might go somewhere else. Like We have to just accept the fact that they may go somewhere else. But you know what? If we can build such a great culture, they'll never want to leave us, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think in the end, that's the true solution that I, I personally struggle to get there. I personally struggle with my team to make it so invaluable. That they want to stay no matter what, you know? So with that, um, uh, you guys got to get back to MDT part D. Well, I got bad news. I, I talked to the instructor. He said, it's actually MDT a, but you guys scored a D. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, well, I've been waiting to launch that joke all the entire interview. All right. So. Uh, but in all seriousness, if somebody wants to reach out or come see your place in Grants Pass or something, uh, are you guys cool with that? And yeah, yeah, they like, should do it how in, can they find you? They come to Say the again. SFM. They come to the SFMA event on June 11th and 12th um, and see it firsthand. Yeah. But if for some reason they couldn't make that, they could probably go to uh, our website www.totalperformance.clinic or email us at uh, admin at totalperformance.clinic. Uh, but awesome. also, also on that note, in all reality, there'll definitely be some post-seminar clinic-gym hybrid conversations. So if anybody listening to this podcast has you know a goal or, or has aspirations to have that, not only are you welcome to see what, what we've built and, and how it's running, but also being able to have conversations, I think can, it's a two-way street. It can be super valuable for us too. So come on yeah. now and let's do it. I love it. Yeah, I think you guys are showing the the physical plant is a good example of it. And then the clinical model is um, just about perfect of, and those two have to work together, you know, like, um, the, and you guys are perfect representation of that. And then the clinical, whatever you want to say, ladder. So you have massage therapy, you have training, you have chiropractic, you have all of those things. So you guys are pr- probably one of the best representations of the clinic gym model in the in the world. So nice job, boys. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Yeah. All right. Well, on behalf of Nick, Nate, and Keith, this is Dr. Josh Saturday saying, go out there, maximize your license, and live the life you dream of. Thanks a lot, fellas. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. Got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients. 